Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. <laughs> my name is Ali. I'm here with my friend James. I already know how it's going, James, so I'm just going to say hi. It's going great. Hey, the new season of Queer Eye just came out. It's Queer Eye huh? Japan, dude. Oh, shit. That's um interesting. Fuck yeah. Are they like, is it like Japanese people? Yeah, yeah, totally. Do they speak English or do they have translators or what? I'm, I'm sure it was like a fucking nightmare to record because, yeah, you, you can tell it's heavily edited. Huh. That's yeah. cool. I mean, at least they like, I don't know. I would have to imagine it would just be a thing of like weird, like American expats or something. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Get posy. Nice. Gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of getting posy, uh, thank you to all our new patrons. Um, October was a really good month for that. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we are going to keep cranking out content just for you and continue making it worth your while. So um, stick around. Thanks for joining in. And as always, you can suggest topics for that. Um, either message us on Patreon or jump in the Discord. Let us know what you want to hear because we are doing it for you. The Discord's great. There's a bunch of channels now. You can like shit post memes and you can just <laughs> talk shit or you can talk about the games that we're playing. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. And we're a game club. Do that at the end yes. of the episode. There's also a discord channel for that. Yes. So at the end of the episode, we tell you what we're playing. If you want to play along at home and yeah, the show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com slash zero brightness. You know what to do. That was all way out of order and out of line, and I loved it. So today we are talking about a favorite of mine, mm. a fall classic, a spooky, a spooky classic. Tis the season. It is. It is right. It's Fatal Frame Two, Crimson Butterfly. Not number one. Number two. <laughs> this really is a, a iterative upgrade. It's a Fatal Frame 1, though. They just yeah. took that DNA and just gave it a shot in the arm. Yeah. And, okay, so I've said this a lot in this show, but I sort of have a problem with certain series where I'm like, I'm going to go play the whole series, and I just get stuck on one game, and I'll just play the one I like the most and be like, okay, I'm good. But, like, with this series, it totally makes sense that I really hadn't gone back and played the original again until we did the episode for this show, because this game is so similar it really is more like a reboot but it's also such a drastic reboot that it does feel very different yeah it's basically like they upgraded every element of the game for the better yeah what really struck me on this playthrough was how similar it is yes because when we were when we were playing fail frame one one uh, I remember thinking like fail frame two is just so much better mechanically. They must've changed a bunch of mechanics and I was actually misremembering that because playing the game again, it's surprisingly similar. Yeah. It's more just like they fine tuned everything. So it's not radically different mechanically, but it feels really, really, really different. Yeah, well, they fixed the worst part of Fatal Frame 1, which was the reverse camera controls. Right. If you're a modern gamer and you go back to play Fatal Frame 1, 
it's like throwing a bucket of cold ice water on your face or something. <laughs> like you just can't control it right because the sticks are flipped. But yeah. in Fatal Frame 2, you can set it to the proper way. And that makes this game just so much more playable right out of the gate. Well, there's also a lot of other stuff too, though. Like the way the ghosts move and your character moves feels completely different. The way that they step up combat throughout the game is completely different. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's crazy, you know, because it's like they're not working with much more than they had in the first one, but they give you a lot more. And that that's why I really, really like this game, among other things. Yeah. Fatal Frame 1 really feels like a, the prototype. Totally. So, you know, a little bit of background. The game was released in 2003. It is developed by Tecmo and published by Tecmo mm-hmm. and directed by Makoto Shibata, who uh, was also the director of the first game, I believe. Yeah. Um, they went into it with the mindset that they were going to make a game that was more fun and more engaging for players. Like, he's basically quoted as saying that they wanted to make it so that the game was more engaging would pull people in and would present a story in a way that is like more enjoyable to experience. Mm. And that once again, I mean, I read that after I finished this latest playthrough and, you know, side note, I've played through this game like a million fucking times. <laughs> Cause one of those games I used to just play like every fall. It's like, yeah. Ooh, spooky time. It really, really presents itself that way. I mean, I think fatal frame one was very much like trying to be a hardcore horror thing. Like yeah. trying to be scary, trying to be difficult, trying to just like push you. And this game is not like that. I mean, it's still trying to be scary, but not right. in that same way. I died over and over again in Fatal Frame 1. And in Fatal mm-hmm. Frame 2, I may have died once. Which doesn't make it any less spooky. Right. It's just less frustrating. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And the thing for me with Fatal Frame 2, because I, I was going into this like, I know I love this game. I don't need like a reminder or I don't need to like reassess how I feel about the game. It's like, I fucking love it. Right. It's like, Oh, spoilers. Like I'm not going to talk shit on this game. (laughs) Sorry. If you came here for that, I mean, I don't know, man, can't help you, bud. But Mm -hmm. like I was trying to remember like, man, why do I like this game so much more than fail frame one, like mechanics aside. Right. And I really think that it's the atmosphere and the vibe of this game are so cool and so unique. Like, yeah. this game really has that minimal Japanese horror, heavy, heavy atmosphere. And similarly to the evolution between RE1 and RE2, Fatal Frame 1 and 2 have that same kind of step up. I mean, Fatal Frame 1 was essentially just one mansion, mm-hmm. while Fatal Frame 2 takes place in a really small village. And it's fleshed out. You know, each house has kind of a story. I just love how it feels to, like, walk around in this game where it's very slow and creeping. There's a fuck ton of atmosphere. You know, there's voice clips and things and stuff happening around you, but it feels really low-key. Like, there were moments in the first game where it was just very loud, almost, like, too loud, because you would, Mm -hmm. like, turn a corner and then a cutscene would play, and then you turn a corner and, like a thing would pop out of you and yeah it just like sort of became a bit much i think this game is much better at integrating it and just having this dark heavy like sad atmosphere that i think is fantastic right a big 
element of playing the game is catching all the ghosts. There are the ghosts that attack you, but then there are other incidental ghosts that you just see out of the corner of your eye or something. You need to catch it real quick. It's not as tense as the first game, but it still keeps you like highly engaged because you do want to like catch all those ghosts like Pokemon Snap style. Yeah, it's it smooths over the that like uh, pacing. So it's like, yeah, it's more of a slow burn. It's more of a consistent churn than it is like them trying to like throw scares at you or mm-hmm. throw ghosts at you. Although there, even though there are like a lot more ghosts in this game, there are a ton of ghosts in this game. Yeah, there's more ghosts to catch Pokemon Snap style, and there's also more ghosts to fight. Like there's more normal enemy encounters. Yeah, yeah. Like Fatal Frame One didn't have a lot of that. It kind of felt like. 80 to 90 percent of the ghosts you encountered were almost like bosses or mini bosses you know we talk about it in the fatal frame episode there's kind of a weird hierarchy of enemies and very few of them are like low tier right you know? yeah but this game you actually get a fair amount of that which is good because the combat is way more fun in this game i still really prefer just like running around trying to catch all the ghosts i see though i think that's a, oh yeah a lot more engaging to me than the battles totally well and so a little bit of background here if you haven't played a fatal frame game um and the reason i'm throwing this in here is because i think this is a great place to start if you haven't Mm, sure you should absolutely play this game it's my favorite in the series um although i haven't played them all yet uh but it's great um so if you haven't played one of these games these games are essentially about uh you know Two siblings, the first two are both have the same setup. It's like two siblings in a haunted area. The first game is a mansion. The second game is a whole village. Yeah. And they're basically trying to unravel the mystery of this haunted place that they're in while also just trying to survive and preferably survive with their sibling. (laughs) The way that they fight the evil forces that have suddenly beset them is with the camera obscura, which is a camera that is able to capture ghosts. So as you explore throughout the game, you find benign ghosts that you can just take a picture of, and then you also fight enemy ghosts who will attack you, and you basically have little encounters with them. Whenever you encounter a ghost like you have to go into a first person mode where you're holding the camera and looking through the viewfinder Mm -hmm. at the ghost and the game incentivizes getting up close and being like really aggressive and that's where a lot of the horror in the game comes from is because you have to get in the face of these like nasty creepy ghosts and like take a picture of them right you're trying to get a quote-unquote fatal frame by getting up in the ghost's face and when they lunge at you you take the shot And then, so tied to this is also like a leveling up system just for your camera. So you can increase your camera's stats, like how much damage you can do, you know, the size of your capture circle, which is basically like how close you need to be to a ghost. Um, And you can also unlock new abilities and like specials for your camera. And that's all tied to capturing ghosts. So you get points as you fight enemy ghosts, but then you also get points for capturing ghosts and finding hidden ghosts. Some of them are like pretty deeply hidden. Um, and you find them by watching the little like uh, sensor in the corner of your screen. That the filament. Yeah. Yeah. Starts lighting up when you're near to a ghost. It's weird that mixing survival horror with arcade elements ends up 
actually just being scary at all. Yeah, no, totally. And I think it is just that the core of the experience is that you're supposed to get up close and look at a thing that you don't want to look at. Right. And also, I think this game was way ahead of its time in terms of like the first person thing. Mm-hmm. You know, first person is just a more effective vehicle for scares a lot of the time. How is Fatal Frame VR not a thing? Uh, good cue. Come on, Tecmo. <laughs> Are we sure it's not a thing? It could have put out some weird mobile <laughs> garbage thing. We don't know. Fatal Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Lord. Um, but so that's like the big component of the horror and that's why it works so well. So it's like really tense and and crazy along with like being scary. Uh, the other thing is that I think the ghosts are really well done in this game, like the way they're presented. Uh, mm-hmm. The game puts a big emphasis on sound and sound design. So like as you're going through the game, you're hearing ghosts talking. They have weird effects on their voices and they're creepy mm-hmm. and like. You also collect items. Um, in the first game, there were cassette tapes. In this game, there are little stones that you can listen to in a radio. You can basically hear creepy ghost messages. It's okay to do tapes again. Why do you have to do magic rocks? <laughs> I don't know. I like the magic rocks a little bit. At least like record them onto crystal skulls or something. <laughs> you in this crystal skull format. <laughs> you're going to be the guy that's like inviting people over to their basement den to check out their sick crystal skull hi-fi. Hell yeah. It's a Sansui. <laughs> <laughs> they brought the Technics brand back just for their crystal skull. Oh yes. Yeah, so like you're listening to the ghosts and hearing their voices and the sound design and all that is like super cool and it's actually fun to check it out. You know, you're not just reading yeah. notes, although of course you're reading notes. <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, there's got to be scrolls explaining everything everywhere. And the other thing too is that so the thing that the first two games in the series share uh, is that they have a sort of layered approach to storytelling. The sick lore, yeah, yeah. The sick lore, like you're always unraveling a tale that takes place in multiple time periods and involves a lot of characters. Um, but it's all, yeah, kind of found, uh, throughout in like, you know, scrolls and on these audio, whatever (laughs) cassettes or stones (laughs) and you're piecing together the picture of what happened and it's cool. It creates a whole atmosphere and an environment that you're kind of invested in. So when you start to see things happen, like spooky ghosts appear for a second or things start leading you down a hallway, it's like you, mm-hmm. you're more invested in it than, you know, in something that's just like a haunted house type of experience. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get the big diagram that Fatal Frame 1 gave you. Yeah. Uh, there's like a timeline diagram of all the characters and everything. You don't get that, but there's still like several layers of lore. And, you know, almost every ghost that you'll encounter in the game has backstory behind it. Yeah, for sure. And it can be anything from like really plot centric stuff. Like you need to understand who this character is and what their motivations are in order to understand the plot. Or it can be something really simple, like you defeat a random, you know, mini boss and then you get their stone that just gives you a clue as to how they ended up dead in this house and trapped there as a ghost, you know? Yeah. So I think we'll cover some of the cooler lore when we get to the story part. Yeah. Because some of it's really pretty interesting. Um, I, I think it might be not as like, I don't know. This game's gruesome as shit, but it doesn't come off as just gruesome and hopeless as the first game. 
Yeah, you know? I agree with that. Yeah. Well, and let's talk a little bit about the version differences here. Um, like, why is Fail Frame 2 such a step up from the first game? So, you know, the on in a story sense, I think this is a big point. They made the story much more integrated into the game than in the first one. So the first one gave you a diagram that was cool because you could go and look at all the character connections, all stuff. But it was also kind of dumb that you needed that. <laughs> like well, everything had happened in the past in Fatal Frame 1. Yeah. It puts you into the narrative, which is good for immersion, but it's also just good for storytelling because you can just experience the game and not have to look at another map. Like, going back to any older survival horror game, like, you get so tired of opening up the map every minute, you know? And, like... Especially in these Fatal Frame games. Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of, like, nice that there's one less map to look at. Sure. I just thought that the plotting and the presentation of the story was just much more elegant in this game. Yeah, and I mean, the flow is nicer, too. Instead of four chapters, which are four nights, it's broken up into, like, over ten chapters. So it's I think it's a little more palatable, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, even bigger change than to the story and the presentation is the nuts and bolts mechanics of the game. So, mm. the combat has been significantly upgraded. So there's still a few things that would be cool that it doesn't do that. Like if you listen to our fail frame episode and listen to us like whine about that game, uh, they don't really make a lot of the upgrades that we were dreaming about, but they do, they do fix a (laughs) lot of things. First of all, you get way more items in this game. Number one, totally. So you have one like super weak film that never runs out. It's infinite. Uh, I never had to use it. Yeah, I never had to use it either because you get just a lot more of the other yeah. items. So it's still it's still like an item scarcity management thing to use the good film, like the 60 and the 90 sure. and the zero. Um, so there's, there's different grades of film. There's technically like five, but there's basically like the infinity pea shooter film. There's the normal grade film that you get quite a lot of. And then there's the three higher grades that are pretty scarce. And so there's still a juggle with those. And those really matter when you get later in the game and you're fighting more powerful enemies. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of the bosses, either you need it just to not get crushed or you need it for the boss fight to not take like a half an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless. Yeah. Because sometimes the the window of opportunity to get a fatal frame or a zero shot is just so small that, I mean, even if you're on like a laggy TV, you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you get way more film, you get way more health items. And so you don't die as much. You don't get like killed in a super cheap way by enemies as much. Mm-hmm. You don't like blow all your items on a random encounter. Um, yeah. The random encounters in this game are a lot better tuned. I think in fail frame one, the random encounters were pretty punishing. And so, yeah, they're more forgiving. Yeah. If you, if you just run into a random bad guy in this one, it won't ruin your day. Um, yeah. In fatal frame one, you could just like randomly encounter a really tough ghost yeah no i did a lot of save reloading not even just because i died but just because like i beat a random encounter and i was like 
fuck. Like I just used yeah. all my shit. Like I have to just <laughs> yeah. reload and hope it doesn't happen or try and run or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen here. No. And it really saves the late game. I think late game fatal frame can be pretty punishing. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, there's still no Japanese voice option. Yes. Which is which weird. Yeah. It's kind of tough. And there's no mod or anything for it either if you're playing it on an emulator. Oh, sure. I looked. I was yeah. playing a disc, actual disc copy. Um, yeah, yeah. I will say that the voice acting is a lot better in this game than the first game. Mm, yeah. Like, I I kind of got tired of the, the twins' voices. I thought it was fine. I think I, you just hear so much of it. I yeah. I mean, I would say it's like acceptable anime dub. Whereas the first game was like unacceptable <laughs> anime. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's that, I think it's, it's that gradation. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not amazing, but it, it didn't bother me. I think if you're a super stickler for that sort of thing, nothing's going to make you happy. Probably. Sure. <laughs> Just play in Japanese at that point. I don't know. But the, the ghost voices are really cool. You know, they always yes. sound like ethereal and creepy. Yeah. And they always give you like little story hints. Like the ghost will say something as they're dying that yeah. might tip you off to something. So, well, and in this game, listening to the stones you collect, the voice recordings that the ghosts leave behind actually does help you solve some of the puzzles, which is different than the first game. The first game, they were just there for atmosphere. Here they actually mm-hmm. serve a gameplay purpose, which I thought was super cool. Yeah. Um, so staying on the combat thing uh, for a second or difficulty, uh, the way that they've tuned the combat is really, really amazing. So I said this in the fail frame one episode, and I still think this is true, which is that this game is much more tuned so that you can pull out your camera and stay in first person view much yeah, longer. Totally. So in Fatal Frame 1, um, when once again, this is in that episode, you should definitely go listen to that. Um, we talked about how the camera in that game is basically just like a really abstract gun. So like <laughs> it kind of works the same way as like readying your weapon in Resident Evil 1 or 2. But mm-hmm. you have to go into a first person mode. And so it's super disorienting. It's like in, using the bazooka in Donkey Kong 64. Exactly. And so, uh, man, dude, I like really have never actually played that game because I just really hated it. Can <laughs> I, I mean, just it's throw stupid, that but it's cute and stupid. I loved Banjo-Kazooie and I could just never fucking get into Donkey Kong 64. <laughs> I still love Banjo-Kazooie too. I've never played Banjo-Kazooie. That is a really good game. I think it holds up because of like the atmosphere, like the music and the aesthetics are like really weird and it's like kind of, kind of creepy. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese, like a shitty animatronic Chuck E. Cheese or something. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) It's the original Five Nights at Freddy's basically. (laughs) Totally. Spooky as hell. It also like, I don't know, that game just feels good. It's so floaty. Characters are so floaty in like a fun way. It's, It's great. Anyway. You know what else floats? The ghost in Fatal Frame 2, Crimson hey, Butterfly. Segway. His Segway level is over 9,000. <laughs> um, so, anyway. Uh, okay, so like I was saying, in Fatal Frame 1, the camera is basically like an abstract gun. In Fatal Frame 2, they change it so that when you pull out your camera, you are kind of like in it, and you can usually stay in it for much longer. Like, 
if not yeah. a whole fight, like at least, you know, a whole sort of like round, you know, like you're waiting for an enemy to do a certain move and you can just stay in first person, catch him, get the shot. And then if you have to, you can go back into third person and run. Right. I think also the camera angles in this game are much, 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 much better than Veil Frame 1. Like, mm, they can. I, see, know. I know you don't agree with me. I read your notes, James, but uh, <laughs> I found them to be a huge upgrade. Like, it, this game still has fixed camera. It sort of has, like, dynamic fixed cameras, so there's some movement, but you're still going to switch angles when you go to certain areas. It's um, very disorienting at points, especially in junctions and hallways. Yeah. Like, you'll get to a T junction or, a uh, like, a, a cross, and, like, uh, the cardinal directions will change, and it'll really fuck your day up. I agree with that, but I also found that the frustrating parts were very, very, like, concentrated. So, overall, I thought it was a much better camera system, and I think that it made combat much easier and more fun like i didn't really have a Mm. problem when i was in combat going in and out of the first person view i will say that exploring certain places was very very frustrating and it's mostly places that are very tight and small and have a lot of confusing hallways so i think they do it on purpose yeah i mean it's supposed to be disorienting because it's spooky but yeah Yeah. uh, you know the inverse of that you're gonna like slam that select button a lot so you can look at the map yeah exactly um but i do think that it's much better camera overall and especially for combat i found Mm -hmm. that in combat going in and out of my camera i never had an issue with it like i think you could just walk faster too in first person yeah i don't know It, it just felt so much better dude yeah so two more big changes to the camera number one you walk faster in first person mode so it's more of a walk and less of a crawling on your knees type of deal which is like what Mm -hmm. it is in the original one yeah um and the other thing is that the ghosts move slower and in like more understandable patterns yeah i i think they get stuck in the wall a lot less too yeah. So in the original Fatal Frame, they would rotate around you super fast. They would teleport all the time, and they'd get stuck in the mm-hmm. wall a lot, and then jump out at you. Like yeah. that shit does not happen in this game. Like they still get difficult in the late game. They can still teleport and like confuse you, but it's all manageable, and it also all makes you want to just invest more in like the powers that you need to yeah. like be better at combat. There's one area where I fought two ghosts in a really, really small room, and I was like, oh, fuck. This is just like Fatal Frame 1. Yeah. But it's just like that one room. And I think there was like one hallway with kids in it where like the kids were just stuck in the wall half the fight. Yeah. But it's so rare in the second game compared to the first one. Yeah. See, I thought all those like two ghost encounters in this game just made it star- like so stark uh, and obvious to me like how much of an upgrade fatal frame 2 is over fatal frame 1 like just because they were actually manageable i mean in fatal frame 1 it's like when you had to face two ghosts sometimes due to like a randomization thing you were just fucked like you were yeah you just want to load yeah it was really bad and it's just so much better in this game another thing too is the way combat progresses over the game so this game has more powers and more abilities um, there are certain abilities you get that are like 
always on just functions on your camera that you can also turn off if you want. Those are um, nice. I like Yeah. That. Like you get a sensor for when you should hit a fatal frame. You get um, like you can uh, an item that lets you see ghost HP, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like like eight or nine of these over the course of the game, which is really cool. There's a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. And you also have powers that there's like was like four or five powers in the game. Like a pushback and a slowdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. So we also talked about this in the first game that like the ghosts were so hard to track and see that the only power I ended up using was C, which yeah, just like totally makes the ghost visible in this game. You get those same kind of powers. So you get one that makes ghosts easier to see. You can slow them down. You can push them back. You can stop them for a moment. And I think there's one other that I'm forgetting. Um, there's, there's a lot. I, honestly, I rarely use these just because the game is so much more, manageable now that i didn't really feel a need for them well i liked them because they could so you could find the one or two that you really liked like i really liked blast and i really liked slow Mm, however then if you were in a boss fight like if you decided to just put some point like if you put just like one level into each of the powers you can be fighting a boss that's giving you trouble and then you can quickly realize like oh this boss is really hard to see i should use c or like yeah oh, this boss moves really fast and it's frustrating, I should use slow because then you just have a chance to actually run up to them while they're trying to teleport and like get a fatal frame, basically. I think um, I kept it on C like permanently. Yeah. I, I That's like super handy. C is really handy. I use slow a lot too. Um, but yeah, like it's just you get these powers over the course of the game and then you have the opportunity to level them up or not and use them or not. And I just felt the flow of that was so much better. I mean, in the original fail frame, you had most of the powers like pretty early and then it was just a matter of you like grappling with the kind of frustrating combat in this game. There's a much more open-ended component of how you want to approach combat and what skills you want to use. Yeah, you're definitely at the disadvantage in the first game. Well, and also like in the first game, it was so hard to even get close to having a high powered camera. Like it took so many points and you needed to get so many of the deeply hidden ghosts to like even be close. Mm. Uh, In this game, it's not like that. And the flow of the game is also more open ended. So there are places where you can actually go like level grind (laughs) and like, yeah, go and make choices like, Oh, I need to get this stat up. So I'm going to go grind or like, Oh, I I would like to have an extra power for this next section. So I'm just going to go like get points for that. It's a lot more fun. I don't think it's possible to upgrade everything to the max in one playthrough. I could be wrong, but yeah, I think it's meant for replayability to where there's a new game plus, and then you start the game with what you ended up with. And yeah, then probably on the second playthrough, you'll max everything out. Right. But I mean, like getting to the end of this game, you're so much more powerful than in fail frame one. Like I got to the end of fail frame one and I was still just like a peon. Yeah. I maxed my camera out, but I didn't max out probably half of the alternate fire things, whatever they're called. Yeah. I just been calling powers. I don't even remember what they're called, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's a big step up. I mean, overall it's just so much more fun and satisfying to do the combat the game still does the weird thing to where um the run button you don't have to hold forward when using the run button 
So you can kind of just like hold hold square as like the accelerator the whole game and just steer with left and right. I actually didn't know that. I was always pushing on the stick. <laughs> yeah, you can just hold square and she'll like auto run. Huh. Weird. Yeah. Well, the controls, I mean, similar to the first game, I think the controls are better in this game, but it's also like this whole series is pretty easy to pick up and play. It's aged much better than like the super tanky Capcom stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, just a final point. This game is a lot longer than the original Fatal Frame. It, I think it's like twice as long. Towards the end of the game, it gets a little more open-ended and there's a bunch of optional stuff you can do. But you could probably get through it in eight or nine hours versus yeah. the six of the first game. Yeah. I think even the first game I got through pretty quick. It was closer to like five. And this wow. game, I kind of went long. It was closer to ten. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Yeah, so I do think that with the progression of the story and the combat and everything, that the extra length is kind of cool. It definitely pushes it out of the realm of like the classic survival horror game length. Like, so if you're looking for like a super short game, it it's not that. But the first one wasn't totally either. But yeah, I do think it helps. Um, and once again, with the plot being more integrated into the game, I think the the extra length actually helps that. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, so it's kind of fun. It's like a little epic. Uh, journey that you get to go on and like we mentioned there's a a couple of more open sections of the game where you can just explore the village you can find hidden ghosts or fight extra enemies it's a cool design like it's just a little tiny bit of like openness sort of similar to silent hill 2 um but i would say even more so like there's even less direction during those segments (laughs) yeah uh you could really get off track because you know once once a building's open it's kind of open and they'll usually reward you for retreading by putting in new hidden ghosts and things so yeah but there is a lot of mandatory retreading buildings which depending on i don't know the mood you're playing when you're playing it it could be annoying yeah it is definitely better than the first game though just because there are more environments like mm-hmm. the first game was just one mansion and you go through it like four times. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I don't know. I think it worked better. It's also okay. So we, we talked about in the fatal frame one episode and in the Kuan episode, actually, because we were kind of talking about how they have a similar progression. That's sort of nonsensical. Yeah. Um, where these games are about giving you a hint or a clue to go somewhere that you wouldn't have even gone otherwise. And then once you have the hint or clue, you go there and you get the next hinter clue. And so it's just kind of yeah. sending you around in this weird, like supernatural fetch quest. Yeah. Sometimes like, so this is how it feels like instead of resident evil where you're getting keys to go to the next place, uh-huh. you're, you're following this trail to trigger an event. And then when that trigger happens, then you can do the next thing. Yeah. Uh, which works well sometimes, but then sometimes it's really like painful so uh there's one mansion with a bunch of dolls in it it's like the house of dolls or whatever 
And uh, there's a part where you have to put a bunch of doll parts together to make a doll. But the doll parts won't show up around the house until you trigger an event in a certain room. Right. And then the doll parts will just magically be scattered all over the house so you can find them and build them. Yeah. Uh, And I got stuck there and I couldn't, like, figure out that trigger. Yeah. Uh, That was painful. Well, and I think it's chapters, it's either four and five or five and six, where that puzzle is one of them. And then there's another one involving books and a Buddha statue that is like, those puzzles kind of suck because the first step to solving them is realizing that you're doing a puzzle, (laughs) (laughs) which is like kind of insane. Once you figure it out, there's kind of an amazing like, oh my God moment, you know, where you're like, I'm doing a puzzle, but like, it's super annoying that you have to even figure that out. And yeah, those chapters can be really frustrating. I, I knew I had to make a doll. (laughs) <laughs> but I couldn't find any parts anywhere. Yeah. And then, so I finally went into this like one room and apparently like the ghost had like gone into like a closet door. Yeah. And I hadn't checked that closet door. And once you check the closet door, it puts the doll parts around the house. It doesn't tell you where they are. Yeah. So essentially I had to like scour the mansion to find the trigger and then scour the mansion again to find all three parts. Right. So it killed me. I died. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost now. Yeah. James is a ghost. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I am, a, I'm of two minds of it about it because on the one hand it is really weird and frustrating and kind of stupid. On the other hand, I do like the game's sort of abstract approach to plotting and progression and storytelling because it's essentially like a counterpoint to a normal survival horror game. And I probably missed a clue or something or wasn't paying attention in a dialogue. I mean, maybe, but some of this stuff is very, very weird. Like it's very vague. Some of the clues where it's like, I think I maybe need to do this. I mean, the way that I figured that part out was that I had just been looking in all these closets and I was like, why is there a closet here? Like, and I assumed it was just going to be like a jump scare or something later. So I kept checking the closet. So I was like, I want to, I want to get it. And then I mm. suddenly was like, oh, wait, no, I'm actually, I'm doing a quest now. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, like I said, I like that it's, it's unique and it's a counterpoint to survival horror, normal survival horror progression. But yeah, it is kind of weird and frustrating. I mean, that was a rough patch and a pretty good game, you know? Yeah. So. I, it's like chapters five and six. They're in the middle-ish of the game. And before that, you don't really have stuff like that. After that, you don't really have stuff like that. It is important to note, though, that that does carry over from the first game, that weird progression system. I do think it's more elegant and it's just more fun to explore in this game. So it's not as frustrating overall. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's really cool how the progression turns later in the game, because early on, you're you're stuck in one house of this village and then it it kind of expands and the world keeps expanding until it's like this whole town that you can run freely through. And yeah, you just don't feel that like sense of like freedom in in an early survival horror game, even when RE2, you know, expanded the world outside of the Spencer mansion and you're running around town before you get to the police department, it still feels very like there's no sense of freedom, right? Yeah. It's like 
sometimes a horror game can make being lost really fun if it lets you roam free. Mm-hmm. And I think this game does that really well in a way that the first game didn't. And in a way that I don't think Kuan did either, yeah. you know, where it's like, you don't get that sense of like, Oh, I'm lost. I'll just check around or I'll try and figure this out. Like there's so many, so many places to go and so many things to look at that. I'll figure it out eventually, you know? And the solution might already be in your notes. The solution might be to pop open your notes and read the last few that you picked up, you know? Yeah. Totally. This is a really fun game to play, like without a guide to really get that experience of like having to look through all the stuff the game is giving you. There's audio logs and notes and scrolls and all this shit. And it's actually, I don't know. I like it because it, it justifies those design choices if they're actually part of the game, you know? Yeah. Like we talk about a lot, I think, but it is important to note that some of this stuff, like if it's not really baked into the game design, it's not well integrated. It's just kind of dumb. It's like, why is this guy going through everybody's trash all the time? Like the fuck dude? I feel like the developers wanted to make that feeling of like, you know, like a spooky block inside of a town or something. Mm hmm. Because they really make it, you know, there's little winding streets and like little alleys, things like that, that really make it kind of feel part of a bigger thing. Well, and let's talk for a second about the atmosphere in this game, because that's what I super, super love. Like, this game is very quiet. It's very dark and it's full of crazy angles and cool shots and fantastic lighting. Like... Mm -hmm. There's just so many areas that you walk into and it's like, whoa, that's fucking cool. And there's some like real low key ass ambient music playing and there's like some red light and some blue light and then everything else is just pitch black. (laughs) And you're just like, damn, that's so cool. And it's got great colors. Like obviously there's these bright splashes of, you know, red and purple and blue, but there's also these great muted like earth tones, you know, Mm. that like really give the game a sense of place and time and color uh they also occasionally play with like desaturating things and putting filtering on stuff and it's really really cool um this really struck me because i very briefly tried to play the wii remake of this game (laughs) and i'm here to say i fucking hated it (laughs) yeah so apparently everyone loves it apparently it's like youtube's favorite game that's um, weird. Yeah, I thought it was garbage trash. Okay. Wow. And here's why. <laughs> Welcome to my TED talk. Uh, so, when I think of this game, like I said, I think of that atmosphere because, as a J horror freak, which you'll know uh, from listening to past episodes, and especially if you're a patron and you got that spicy episode of Uncle Ali's <laughs> J horror corner, um, <laughs> you know what the fuck is up, and you know what the fuck I'm talking about. So J-Horror, the best of it, has this great, low-key, dark, dread-filled atmosphere that Mm. does super well. It's quiet, it's slow-moving, it's very, very subtle, and then suddenly everything is just, like, mega fucked up, right? I think this game (laughs) nails that, not just from a story or a pacing perspective, but also from an audio-visual perspective. Like... It's really hard to put into words, but like you'll just walk into a room and you'll get this really uncomfortably wide and dark shot of the room. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, shit, what's in that corner, dude? Yeah. I don't want to go in that corner. They always frame it into a way you can't fucking see that corner. 
You trying to tell me I'm going to go in that corner? <laughs> Hell no, dude. Like, yeah. yeah. And the framing, the way everything looks. And, and like in the first game, the darkness was really frustrating because the game was just too dark and it was hard to see. I mm-hmm. think this game just gets right in that Silent Hill one sweet spot where it's like dark enough to unnerve you, but bright enough that you can still see what's going on. Um, they also put a brightness slider, which the first game didn't have. That's some sick fucking <laughs> DLC right there. Thank you, Tecmo. Uh, but like, yeah, so this game just like nails that, right? And like I said, the filters are really cool. There's like parts where you play. So you're mostly playing as one sister mm-hmm. and then you switch to the other sister briefly and everything's like looks like an old film reel, which you also collect throughout the game yeah. and can watch, yeah. right? So it's like black and white. It's got, you know, noise and grain and all this stuff going on. I'm using Adobe terms here. This is great. Um, (laughs) And like, it it looks really cool. There's also really subtle things that happen. Like in the middle of a cutscene, a little noise filter will pop up. Mm -hmm. And like, I noticed it on this playthrough because I like edit video now. But like, (laughs) uh, I don't know. It, It was just like really cool how all that stuff was really subtle. And it's like, it graduated. The style of this game graduated from my appraisal of the first game as like a Japanese <laughs> TV horror movie to now we're like a decent budget, classy, theatrical J horror movie. Ju on three instead of Ju on one. Exactly. Um, maybe <laughs> even four. <laughs> but like, so I, I loved that. And I love all the p- bits and pieces that come together to make the game feel that way. Now, when I booted up the Wii remake, here's the first thing I'm greeted with, right? Number one, (laughs) the sudden realization that, like, why the fuck would you remake a game for a platform that has, like, the same spec as the one it came from? Like, the Wii was just a GameCube. (laughs) Like, it was two GameCubes duct taped together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a tech bump, but it's a bump. It's not an upgrade. It's like putting more RAM in your computer, not like putting a new graphics card in your computer. Yeah. Right. Like, eh. so that's the first thing it's like right away. They, you see that they remade the CG cutscenes, but in this like hideous art style. Oh no. It just looks like a generic fucking anime game. Does it have a dope anime theme song? No, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it does have like the characters have more realistic proportions and a slightly more like realistic, quote unquote, like anime look. Uh, The colors are brighter and more vibrant, but in a way that makes it look generic, like the kind Mm. of dark desaturation that really gave this game its look and aesthetic is just gone. And so then once you get into the actual gameplay, the graphics and sound are just like cheap feeling like something about them just feels very very cheap and wrong Hmm. like when those uh filters that i mentioned previously pop up in game they're just really like glaring and obvious uh they look like shit everything was clearly made to be a little cleaner and less rough around the edges on the wii's hardware but it totally sapped all the personality from the game so the environments are laid out the same but they look totally different and they don't look good um, the game, in my opinion, controls like shit. The camera is like Alan Wake style where it's like, just like <laughs> right up in the nape of their neck. And it's like fucking mm. horrible. Uh, they added these weird, there aren't really motion controls in the game per se, but like 
they added these weird kind of like gimmick controls. So yeah. for example, you have to tilt, not point tilt the remote to move the flashlight up and down. And like you need it to pick up items, which is weird. terrible. And then Ugh. the big one. Okay, dude, this is crazy. This is what made me just slam it shut on this game. I was just like, Nope, <laughs> Nope, Nope, Nope. So in, Fatal Frame 2 has a thing where when you go to open a door, if the game needs to load, they'll have the character like hesitate. And it's yeah, like, yeah. it's not a consistent time. So it's clearly just loading the next area. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I'm guessing, but I know I'm right. No, right? no, because if you play it on emulator, there's no wait. Oh, okay, great. She just so opens there you the go. damn door. Okay, so th- the people who made this remake were like sitting around in a group, you know, smoking some really bad weed. And just like, <laughs> just kind of just in the, in the real I- ideation circle. And we're just like, man, you remember in fail frame two when you had to wait in front of the door and someone was like, <coughs> yeah, that was really scary. <laughs> and so they put in a motherfucking mechanic where you have to like press a to interact with something. And then it zooms in on your character's hand, just hanging in the air above the thing. And then you have to hold a for the right time for them to Mm -hmm. go in and grab it. And if you don't hold a long enough, they move their hand back and then you have to do it again. That sounds awful. It is horrendous. No. And it totally ruins the flow of the game. And it's exactly like we talked about this in man of Medan. Remember where there were those chests where you had to do like (laughs) the hold a to open it and it Uh led to a jump scare, but you had like already done it wrong four times by the time you saw the jump scare. So it was like not scary or startling at all. Cause you're like, I've been staring at this chest for like five minutes. Like why the fuck would I be scared if a thing popped out of it? Right. (laughs) And side note, don't play man of Medan. Don't play that shit, bro. PC gamer, PC gamer. PC Fuck Gamer that. gave Man of, Man of Medan a higher score than Nier Automata. Yeah. I mean, that's like grading on a curve from hell right there. That's <laughs> brutal shit. But yeah, so it's like that. And that combined with the shitty controls and camera and the fact that it just sucked out any sort of aesthetic or vibe that I felt and still feel the original game has it just ruined it for me. I couldn't Mm. do it. I played like an hour and then I was like, dude, you're like ruining my childhood here. Like fuck off. (laughs) I mean, well you're ruining my teenage hood or whatever. I was pissed. I was like, this is not cool. Fuck you guys for making this. And then I, you know, being like, I'm pretty reasonable guy, right? Like if I had a bad time, I'm thinking maybe some other people had a bad time. Nope. Dude, this is YouTube's favorite game. People All these fucking it, yeah. weird YouTubers who like have like weird upper lips and like <laughs> bad haircuts and shit. Like they love this game. Holy shit. They're so horny for this game. It's like this game. Like, oh my God, dude, this game is just like their cure all. Like this game saved their life. Holy shit. It's just it you. I'm going to play it and love it. You're not going to James. Like I, <laughs> I feel pretty confident that I can say that. I mean, if you do, I'm happy for you, but Holy shit, dude. <laughs> like my God, it just like, and it was crazy. Cause then going back and playing the PS2, my disc copy of the PS2 version that I've had mm. forever. Yeah. Like 
was just such a relief. It was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, it was just crazy, you know? It was like the meme of the guy washing his face. <laughs> it's like when they remake uh, your favorite sh- horror movie and it comes out really shitty. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, like that Pet Cemetery remake they did. Didn't I mean, not see the- it. Oh my God, dude. It's so, okay. Here's actually a fun side note. So apparently uh, we are at the point in time where uh, some of these movies and franchises and properties that are based off of books, uh, the rights holders are actually losing the rights to them because in America, there's like a 20 year clause and they are, it's 20 or 30 years. I can't remember. And these rights are now reverting to the authors who wrote the original stories. so a bunch of rights holders didn't realize this was happening and then just started getting notices like oh thanks for your service we have the rights back now and they're like shit 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 so the way that you hang on to it is you just have to make something with it right like you just have to pump out something (laughs) that's with it so if you sign an agreement that's like this is for film you have to make a movie um Mm. and so some of that stuff is now starting to come out pet cemetery was totally that the studio is basically about to lose the rights because they were going to revert to uh, Mr. Stephen King. And <laughs> so they pumped out this horrible fucking remake of Pet Cemetery that is like the most like cheapy, quickie, confusing movie. Like they had no idea what they wanted that movie to be. They just got John Lithgow, who does give a great performance in it. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, everything else will fall into place. <laughs> It did not fall into place. That's why we're getting some of this shit now is just because they don't want the rights to revert to the authors because then they feel like they wasted their money, even though they didn't. It's like, dude, just let it happen. You're not going to do anything good with it. That's not how capitalism works. (laughs) (laughs) We're going there. We're always there. Anyway, yeah, that fucking Wii remake is just garbage trash. Stay away from that, dudes. I mean, that's good to know. Yeah. Because that shit ain't cheap either. No. And they're fucking hyping it up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. They're like... I even like... I actually, in my research, I found a video where it's just like... uh, It's that channel um, Stop Skeletons from Fighting. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Like... You know, it is what it is, but they have made a couple of, like, interesting, like, informational videos about horror stuff that I've watched. And, like, Mm -hmm. they just did one that was, like, all best remakes. And, like, they just give a shout, like, a brief shout out to that game. And I was like, why are you shouting this game out? Don't shout this fucking game out. This game sucks. Yeah. That guy's a dork. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, real talk. He started as a tribute act to the worst thing ever put on the internet, which is the angry video game nerd. (laughs) Oh, well, I can think of worse things on the internet, Ollie. I don't know, man. I'd rather that fucking heroin trade go topside than we have the angry video game nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it funny that you're the one who gets stereotyped as having the hot takes and I've, I just keep like pushing that narrative, but then I say shit like that. No, I mean, just like it's fucking go for it man i think we just have to pretend because otherwise like people will be pushing for me to be put in jail the internet is for opinions the internet is for jailing your enemies (laughs) please don't swat (laughs) me guys come on oh god imagine getting swatted over spooky games over spooky games podcast yeah i would probably quit Mm. 
If you want yeah. future episodes of Zero Brightness, don't swat me, James. Okay? Are you listening? This is you, you all right, pricks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I think that this game to me, it's a lot like Silent Hill 3, where I think even apart from the mechanics of the game and the story and whatever, I really love the atmosphere and the vibe, the sense of dread and isolation and just darkness that it creates are super cool to me. Mm. And yeah, I'm always going to want to dive back into this game and its world because of that. And that that was something that I don't know if I stressed that enough when we talked about Silent Hill 3, but that's really always why that game is going to be like my favorite Silent Hill. And it's just like why this one is my favorite Phil frame. Like it's nice that they <laughs> fix the mechanical stuff, but that vibe is really what I'm here for. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess, should we talk about the story a little bit? Yeah, we should. We, we've I'm- really kind of danced around it for an hour and <laughs> I mean, everyone knows I like this game. So yeah. Okay. Well, it's about a set of twins and they go playing in this forest. I mean, they're probably like 14 or 15. Yeah, something ish. like that. They go playing in this forest where they like grew up. And uh, they see a spooky town. And they decide to go like check it out. And they get like stuck in this like creepy town. Right. There's really not much explanation for it. I think they see like fire or like a ritual going on and they get curious. Yeah. But they get stuck in this, like, creepy town uh, that seemingly came out of nowhere. And you got to figure out what the heck's going on. And it all takes place in one night, which is kind of cool. Very cool. Another thing I like about this is that I think the setup almost reminds me of, like, an 80s horror movie. Like, these teenagers find this abandoned town and in one crazy night, you know, kind of explore the town and figure out what's going on. It's... You can tell that they were trying to do something that was a little more universal and a little more relatable than the first game, and I think they super nailed it. Well, one thing that it's very reminiscent of is of the movie you recommended to me, Noroi the Curse. Oh, yeah. Uh, because in that film, there's a uh, cursed town that was destroyed by a dam being built, so the town is underwater, and that's exactly what happens to this town. Yeah. So, Yeah. Well, and that's one thing, too, is that, like, in the sort of, like, Buddhist traditions that exist in Japan, like, they do these rituals that obviously this game really sensationalizes and is like, they're, like, killing people and fucking poking their eyes out and, like, but, like, Neroi kind of, that movie shows how they could actually do it in a fairly benign religious way where they basically do these, like, very highly performative rituals that are allegorical so it's like oh it's like theatrical yeah like we're banishing this demon by doing a little sort of play with music Mm -hmm. and dance that shows how we believe and i think in places that have those sorts of traditions where people like earnestly do them they're just so good at doing this kind of horror where like Mm. demonic entities spin out of control like i was talking about those my friends i've been watching a bunch of mexican horror movies lately which i've always loved and it's like I was kind of reading about like, you know, Mexican horror and all this stuff. And like we were talking about, it's like, yeah, like Mexicans do Mexican artists and directors like do that sort of demonic horror so much better than Americans do. Because I think mm-hmm. like 
in the sort of like traditional Mexican Christian culture, like there's so many rituals and there's so many things that people like do in earnest and for real that can still be mostly like performative. And so it gives you like a real window into like the thought process behind like, well, what happens if it fails? Right. Like why do like you start to think like, well, why do we do these rituals, you know? Mm hmm. And I think it's much more like real and visceral in in like that kind of culture than it is in like, you know, mainstream American culture, for example. Sure. You I know? mean, if you don't have a belief system, there's nothing to exploit with horror. Right. But I, I, I <laughs> your real yeah, life totally. is just horror all the time. I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just I think the the sort of like ritualistic aspect of it and like oh totally yeah yeah i think that's like and those are the two things that have, that sort of occurred to me like japan has that with the like the buddhist traditions and then you know mexico has that with the the sort of like rituals around the more like esoteric parts of like that kind of christianity uh anyway <laughs> side <laughs> big side note there um yeah so basically they show up in this abandoned village and they start poking around and it becomes pretty clear that this village like the village in or like the mansion in the first game uh basically does a ritual to keep the darkness at bay like just like the first game just like the first game (laughs) this game is like so much of like an iteration it's just like yeah just change the names and ship it boys yeah but (laughs) so in this game you do you know the main characters are these twins and quickly becomes apparent that the ritual that this village does involves twins. What do you know? Mm -hmm. And similar to the first game, the village has been plunged into some sort of hellish state because the ritual failed um, due to one of the shrine maidens disappearing. Um, In the first game, it was just the one shrine maiden who they needed to sacrifice, uh, you know, running away because she was in love Um, Mm -hmm. but in this game, it's that one of the twins ran away and left the other one, which actually opens up a lot of really cool plot lines and just like bits within the game. It ends up being the, the, the one that ran away is the grandmother of the protagonist from fatal frame one. Yeah. It all ties together. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's super cool. And like, there's also, so a recurring theme in the game is like, the twin who's left behind begging the other twin not to leave, Mm -hmm. um, which is very sad and creepy and cool. Uh, And so that's like a recurring motif. Um, Another thing is that because the twin, one of the twins was now suddenly alone. There's like a doll maker who made her a doll of her sister that she carries around like a lifelike doll. And yeah, that becomes like part of the plot and an avenue for a bunch of creepy doll stuff, which is really well done in this game. Yeah, if you don't like creepy dolls, like this game is gonna fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I also think that stuff is really hit or miss. Like we've talked about how it was super dumb in uh, Layers of Fear too. Uh, yeah, yeah. And a few we've played a bunch of games with dumb doll stuff, but this was like <laughs> cool doll stuff. Yeah, like. It- Oh, it's just so creepy. Yeah. Uh, there's a room where there's two, like, life-size dolls, and you have to, like, build one. Yeah. And uh, that's just the creepiest fucking room. Yeah, totally. And even that room, like, has crazy over-the-top scary music, like, for no yeah. reason. And I just love dread. it. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's just like such a that's such a baller move like i mean nothing's really gonna happen in this room but check out mm -hmm. this <laughs> yeah i don't think we need to get like super deep into all the lore stuff but you know there's like five mansions in this little town and then there's like the super mansion which is like there there's like a a draw bridge with water and stuff leading up to this big giant mansion where this ritual is supposed to take place right on the other side of that that bridge are what five family homes and they're all huge yeah and after you go through the first one you're kind of free to roam around the town most of them are locked but you end up going to all of them some of them are you find later connected underground so you can go between a couple underground yeah it becomes like a big kind of like snaky super mansion you know yeah and the the connective uh, passages either tunnels or bridges between the mansions are really cool there's a super satisfying you know exploration loop you get into especially in the late game where you're opening up passageways between all the houses yeah, um, yeah. I definitely like had that moment where I, I realized that every time the little you unlocked it thing popped up on screen I was like yes like Napoleon Dynamite <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's a really well designed game when you put it into perspective like we talk a lot about puzzle box houses which are very common in horror games but this is like mm -hmm. like yeah five to six puzzle box areas that all become one giant puzzle box puzzle town yeah it's puzzle town it's crazy dude <laughs> they should have called this game puzzle town oh <laughs> they should uh someone should mod it turn all the lights on and make yeah. the ghosts like clowns or something and just call it Puzzle Town. Can you imagine the box art that's like, yeah, fun, like chibi, colorful versions of all the like ghosts in the game? It's like, welcome to Puzzle Town. You just Photoshop smiles on all the scared characters. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to Puzzle Town. Enjoy your stay. Here's a camera. Take some pictures. <laughs> See if you can take pictures of all the clowns. <laughs> the closer you get to the clown, the more points you get. <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a oh man. The design in this game is just crazy. And yeah, it's it's funny doing this show coming back to these games. It's really 50 50. Like sometimes you come back to a game and you're like, I did not remember it being that clunky. And then sometimes <laughs> you come back to a game and you're like, I did not remember it being that elegant. You know? Yeah. This one I definitely felt the, the latter about. Well, since I didn't have, you know, experience with it, it really just felt like everything just got an iterative upgrade. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and apparently they started the development very soon after the first one wrapped. Like, they knew they were going to do a sequel. And yeah, it feels like they, yeah, they got the player feedback. They wanted to dive back in and make it the way that they knew they needed to make it, which is, mm -hmm. is super valuable and it's super cool. I mean... It's almost nostalgic now, just with how game development is now, where it's like everyone's on a yearly schedule and is trying to pump out like shitty games. And yeah. it's so cool to see. I mean, yeah, it's like we're talking about this the same weekend that Blizzard was like, here's a bunch of the same stuff we released a few years ago. Here it is again. Please forget that we're fascists, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Like, you're actually looking at this game like, oh yeah, there's some artistry put into this. They actually, you know, had a vision and they did it and it's very well executed. Fuck Blizzard. Why'd you <laughs> have to bring that up? Sorry, bro. 
All right. Here's what I here's what I'm wondering. You want to know the big mystery? Why is nobody roasting the CEO's hair? Do you see that guy's fucking hair? You know what he, he he looks like John Romero's less impressive little brother or something. <laughs> totally. It's just like the sad mullet as opposed to the kind of defiant mullet. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I haven't left my my house in a while. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy in his hair. <laughs> Yeah, I seriously was looking through internet comments all over the place. Like nobody is going to mention this man's hair. Like, I mean, I'm not going to do it. Cause I'm not a fucking internet commenter. Like I walk upright dude, but come on. What I don't understand about all this is that like, like motherfucker, you have enough money. Like, do you have to just like sell your integrity to <laughs> just quit? Just fucking quit. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Resign in shame. Do it the Japanese way. <laughs> Cry into all your fucking money, right? Like, yeah. who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one cares. Fucking meatloaf, reject looking motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, dude, just jump in your car and find paradise by the dashboard lights, bro. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's, there's a meatloaf reference that nobody gets because nobody cares. <laughs> oh, man. I had this dream once that meatloaf was my dad. <laughs> That would be so sick. Dude, I mean, I'm not going to lie, and I don't want to make this a thing, but I probably would like you a little more if Meatloaf was your dad. I'd like me some more, too. (laughs) I don't like you less because he's not your dad, but I would probably... I just, you know... (laughs) I I know you would feel the same way about me if Meatloaf was my dad. I would do anything for them. (laughs) But I won't do that. Um, so anyway, if, if any of you guys out there know how Meatloaf can adopt both of us, um, <laughs> start that viral tweet. <laughs> Meatloaf, please adopt these two adult men. <laughs> Will you be my dad, Meatloaf? <laughs> my real dad, Meatloaf. Just like show up at his house and like put ourselves in a basket. <laughs> he opens the door. It's a really big, sturdy basket. <laughs> two fucking adults in there shit yeah so fatal frame so fatal, fatal, of, fatal frame, fatal frame too. too you know we've been really focused with the episodes lately i think we've we we can treat ourselves to a, a long digression <laughs> about meatloaf being our father i think that's what people are here oh, for yeah like they, right? they come for the fatal frame they stay for the meatloaf yeah and father fantasies this is just my revenge for nobody leaving a comment about j allen brack's fucking mullet okay <laughs> if you really want to support the show go roast his hair please <laughs> jesus christ where are we though <laughs> well we're talking about the story i mean we gave the setup yeah these girls are in this town you look around so, like, the reason why one of the twins previously ran out of town is because the ritual has to do with one twin strangling the other to death. Yeah, which is really dark. Full circle. That's what the crimson butterfly is. That's, like, the mark on the corpse left after you strangle your sister to death. Right. And you've been seeing them all over the whole game. Yeah, so there's, like, butterflies flapping around town. They're really just, like, murder wounds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's one thing that's cool about these games is, like, when you think about it, there's a pretty huge sense of scale that it's, like, these fucked up rituals have just been happening for so, so, so long. Like, 
mm-hmm. who knows even how long and like you find documents throughout the game that are like you can't read this because it's in a different ancient type of writing and I really like that it's a super cool way to approach that yeah so you know like lore backstory stuff there were two boys uh, Itsuki and Mutsuki they actually went through with the ritual but it failed for some reason so like the next year they performed it with two girls uh, Yai and Sai and the surviving boy his hair had turned white uh, the surviving boy convinced them to escape from town but I think Sai was caught and brought back, and then Yai ran. Yeah. Uh, th- they hung the boy. They knew they couldn't perform the ritual, so they hung the girl uh, just to appease the gods or whatever. But it failed. And the hell gate opened, and you know, right. all the bad things happened. Yeah. Well, and one thing that's super cool in this game... So we talked about it in the first game. There's like a weird sort of time dilation thing happening where everything just gets compressed and put on top of itself. So, you're, you know, yeah. the characters who are in this area can experience things from the past, can talk to people from the past. And, like, yeah, you just see Itsuki chilling in, like, a jail cell. You can go and talk to yeah. him. He's, like, your hint box. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah, you go over there. Uh, he'll basically tell you where you need to go next Yeah, at any point. But it's just... But it's, it's cool. cool. Like, you were talking about the, the layered time thing. One of the first ghosts you fight in the game is a woman she was the girlfriend to one of the guys building the dam and so yeah you fight the guy uh, a construction worker from the dam and his girlfriend's ghost like really early in the game yeah and that would have happened just like pretty recently to the timing of the game right so yeah it's interesting yeah I, I think it's super cool and it just it makes you think about the story and the structure of the game in a really interesting way and yeah I like you know I've said it before I like stuff that plays with time in a subtle way because like time travel is mm-hmm. really hard to do because it doesn't make any goddamn sense um, right. but like playing with time in that subtle way is really cool and sort of opening up the door to that sort of story line is really cool yeah. So the girl Sae is essentially like the main antagonist for the game. And she kind of puts your sister, the twin sister, under sort of like a thrall or a spell. So she'll but she'll come like in and out of it. She'll sometimes she'll she'll be like, Oh, please never leave me. We're gonna be together all the time, forever, right? And you have to like comfort her or whatever. But then a lot of other times, like, uh, she'll just wander off and, like, get herself into really dangerous or precocious situations. Yeah, totally. And you have to, like, go save her for, like, three chapters. Yeah, (laughs) it's a lot of the game, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's even cool, too, because, yeah, like, you're not really sure what's going on with her. She seems possessed. She sometimes seems like she's speaking as a different person. And that's the same with, like, yeah, like, when Itsuki talks to you, he thinks you're... uh, either Sai or Yai. I think it's Yai. Yeah. yeah. He thinks you're one of those sisters and yeah, people just converse with you in this way where you're not who you are. It's really cool and disorienting. I think back to the presentation and aesthetic of this game, like there's a very dreamlike vibe to it. Like totally the, a lot of times you walk into an area and then things will get a little bit blurry and they'll show you not really like a cutscene, but just something happening elsewhere in the room. And you'll hear a little voice clip or like, whenever you're with your sister, cause sometimes she's with you and not like, you know, stuck in a tree or whatever. 
when she's with you, you'll just hear her say like little lines of dialogue and they're totally just like mm-hmm. just happening while you're playing the game. It's very cool. It's, it's dreamlike. It's very casual and weird. I like it. Sometimes she's with you and you're walking and she'll follow. If you leave her behind too much, uh, certain ghosts will like grab her by the leg and things like that. And you have to like run back and fight them off. Yeah. But if you keep her close, uh, the ghost won't even appear. Yeah. And it's, yeah, she'll kind of freak out if you run too fast. It always made me feel bad, so I'd always just walk. But even that's yeah. kind of cool. Like, the game is trying to manipulate you into going a bit slower. And it it didn't strike me as annoying, or it didn't hurt the pace of the game, in my opinion. Like, you would think it would if you just heard that as, like, a feature of a game. You'd be like, oh, it sounds terrible. There's no eco-style hand-holding, though. No. Which is a big minus. <laughs> That's inf- Those squirrels should hold hands. Yeah, totally. They really need to lean into the buddy system, especially based on how often they get split up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just really cool. It's really cool and dreamlike, and it's very unique, I think. Like, that's another reason I love this game. Like I can't really think of another game that has the same feel as this game. Mm. I mean, besides fatal frame one. Yeah. <laughs> but even like in fatal frame one, the presentation and the way, you know, the story flows and stuff are, are different enough that it still doesn't have like quite the same feel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the creator said something like a lot of people that played the first game were too scared to finish it. Uh-huh. And so what he wanted to do was make the story more engaging and more relatable. So people would stick to it till the end. Yeah. Well, and that totally comes through. So like, I mean, we, I've been talking about and watching a lot of these kind of, uh, super sad, spooky drama movies that are kind of like in the horror realm, but they're almost more about like the drama and the character interaction interactions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this game almost has that kind of feel to it. Like it feels more like a del Toro movie or it feels more like a tale of two sisters or it feels more yeah. like this. Uh, I just watched this great Mexican horror movie called uh, tigers are not afraid. I don't think I said that on air. So I'm saying that now. Um, <laughs> it was great. It's on shutter by great director um isa lopez you should totally fucking watch it but i mean that's basically just like a really sad fucked up drama about kids living in like a town that's ruled by the drug trade and where all the kids are just like left to fend for themselves because their parents are murdered you know Mm. and it has supernatural and horror elements are very strong but it's all about the drama and what happens to these kids and it's super sad and it's great and I feel like that's now a really strong like subgenre of horror and which I would also slot tale of two sisters into as well, except it has a little bit more of the like hardcore J horror stuff in it. Yeah. But yeah, like this game has that kind of feel where it's like, yeah, there's like hardcore horror and there's action, but there's also this really great, like super sad drama kind of like, like these doomed teens who are just like left to face the fate that they can't escape. Like that whole kind of thing. It's very cool. Yeah. And you do get enough backstory to the, where you kind of care about them. Yeah. Like there's, there's a story about like them uh, playing and running and like one girl ran too fast. So the other girl like fell down the hill and hurt herself. So now she has this like permanent limp. Yeah. So now she has this like sense of guilt. Like she always needs to take care of the 
the weaker sister, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's so unique in the video game space. And I think if you're just looking at this as like a survival horror game, it's super unexpected, you know? I think in the same way that people love Silent Hill 2 because it has this like emotional drama mm-hmm. that's very deeply yeah. ingrained in the game. Like this game does too. And I think it's in a way that's like even more, you know, unique and underexplored uh, within video games. Cause like Silent Hill 2 now kind of feels prescient cause there's this whole sad dad genre of video games now. <laughs> um, but there really isn't a lot like uh, Fatal Frame 2. I don't feel. Yeah. I would say that it's, it's still weird to play like a 14 or 15 year old girl protagonist in a game. You know what I mean? And that's like cool and unique, especially in 2003. I mean, yeah, totally. And like, uh, yeah, they're not presented as like, you know, weak or like less capable or anything. It's like or sexualized. Yeah. They're not sexualized. Which is weird. When, when did the series start doing that? Because it's so known for that now. I think it's in like the next one. <laughs> if I remember. We'll find out soon, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even it seems like within the game it's not a thing, but they started doing the extra costumes and stuff there just like gross and like leery. Um mm-hmm. it's not good. But yeah, like you're just pl- I mean the the bonus costumes in this one are like kimonos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's not in this game and which once again is is fucking great because at this time it was so hard to play a female character in a video game and not just be like super like grossed out all the time yeah like i remember even like uh so i used to play certain video games with my mom uh my mom was like the biggest zelda fan and so we'd play all the zelda games together and like mm-hmm. Every once in a while, she would like watch me play other games. Wouldn't really get into it. Um, but there was w- only one other series that we actually played together, um, and that was uh, Xenosaga. Oh yeah, and it was literally just because she was like this crazy like sci-fi like adventure. Like I gotta see this shit, and then she got like super into the story. But it was like clockwork that she, like every time a new character would int- be introduced, she was like, oh, "Why is she dressed like that?" <laughs> And like, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, like, go look at the character uh, designs for Xenosaga, especially for Xenosaga Two. It's like the most like gratuitous fan servicey bullshit. Um, yeah. So it's really RPGs, man. Yeah, it's really refreshing to go back and play like this game. Or I'm gonna big up Silent Hill Three again, like where it didn't have that element to it. It's not fan servicey, and especially because they're teenagers, so it's just not like the gross shit we deal with now. Like, goddamn, right. <laughs> they out here, they, man, they out here doing some wild shit now. <laughs> Back in my day, we respected women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Sad, sad leftist retirement home. <laughs> <laughs> well, can't wait to get mandatorily shoved in there. We'll we'll be lined up against the wall and shot. Yeah, first. exactly. It's you're really only in there for a day, and you get to just <laughs> reminisce and, and smoke a lucky strike and talk about the old old times, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> so <laughs> Fatal Frame Two. <laughs> so I mean, we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of the story. You should go play it. Yeah, but it ends up like you know the ritual's gonna have to happen or something. Right. Or you're gonna have to cancel the ritual. But, like, 
So you get to the end of the game, and like, you have to like strangle your sister to death. Yeah. And that's how the game ends. Yeah. And then it's over. It's like, a, what the fuck? It's a bummer. So, like, okay, to get the good ending, quote-unquote good ending, you have to beat the game on hard mode, and you can only do that on your second playthrough. Right. And, and it, fuck, I don't have time for that. The new season of Queer Eye just came out. <laughs> you know? I think, to I think I read that in the director's cut, uh, which was the Xbox release of this game, similar to kind of how they mm. did the Silent Hill 2 director's cut. Yeah. Uh, I guess they added an option to get that on your first playthrough but Mm. i don't like that i actually like the sort of default ending where they actually do the ritual because i think it's more in line with the tone and atmosphere of the story like to compare it to those movies i was comparing it to a moment ago that's absolutely how those those movies end everybody's gonna die j-horror everybody's gonna die everybody's gonna die or at least everybody who you don't want to die has to die yeah right but uh, so like but the good ending isn't really the good ending. So instead of strangling your sister to death, you don't do it, but you accidentally look into the death pit which which drives you mad. Yeah. Which you know legend has told to drive everyone mad that has looked into this pit. Right. But what happens is that you survive, you and your sister both survive, but you're blinded and so you have like a scarf over your eyes. And that's how the game ends. So that's not a good ending. No, it's like one of y'all, one of y'all gets all fucked up no matter what. Oh, it's, it's great. I love it. I mean, it's once again, it's, it's, it's almost like an anti game. Like we were talking about a while ago where like it's, it's more in line with a super sad movie. The plot is continually pushing towards this inevitable thing and you can't really stop it. Like, you go through the game, you, you know, pass these challenges, you become stronger in the combat, your camera gets better, et cetera, et cetera. But like you can't avert the thing that you really want to do. It ultimately takes the power and agency away from you in a way that's really cool because it serves the plot. Well, then here comes the bad ending uh-huh. <laughs> where you just say, fuck it. And you peace out of town without your sister. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just also fucked up, man. <laughs> That's probably what I would do. <laughs> oh my god! Sounds, sounds spooky, bro. I ain't going back in there. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> the fuck out of here. See man. you at Thanksgiving, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also jump in the car at the beginning of Clock Tower and we're like, "Y'all are on your own. Bye." Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one made more sense because you weren't really related to those people, you know. <laughs> It's like if you and I had just met for the first time at Meatloaf's house after he adopts us. Like, we don't know each other yet. <laughs> yeah. We don't know each other. And and you know... Jump me- on that Harley and ride. You know Meatloaf has a clock tower. Oh, he's got a clock tower. He might hide the keys for the escape vehicles. Yeah. Well, he definitely does that. He also definitely has, like, a, a scissor man somewhere in there. Hmm. Little Loaf. <laughs> Yes. Uh, But yeah, you got to play this game. This is a classic. I think in a lot of ways, it's like maybe my favorite game from this era. I I think the way everything comes together is very unique. Even just on a 
quality level, and I don't think a lot of other games like this or from this time really get there, you know? Yeah, it's not my favorite game from the era. Yeah. My favorite game from the era is Katamari Damacy. <laughs> okay, horror game. This game ain't got shit on Katamari Damacy. Oh my god. Horror game, James. <laughs> horror, wait, this is a podcast about horror video games. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's really good. I mean, if you like Fatal Frame 1, you're going to love it. Uh, if you're curious, you'd start with this one and then go to one. Um, yeah. If you want. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean... I, I like all the links between Fatal Frame 1 and 2. And that's why I say play both. Because the lore is gangster. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, there's a Fatal Frame 1's like, frustrating, but at least the backstory is cool. Yeah. Especially the way it links to this game. Yeah, and this game links into Fatal Frame 3 super hard. So it's nice. it's really cool. Yeah. I One thing I really like about this series is that they made every game very different and unique, but they also did put in like pretty hefty story links. And that's... Yeah. kind of rare even a series like resident evil where it's supposedly the same storyline continually on like yeah that shit is so yeah. spaghetti so fucking messy dude like it, it, sometimes it's best when they don't do that i really seven. i really wish they would just just ditch it you know what i mean yeah like yeah oh my god like when chris showed up at the end of resident evil 7 oh spoilers Ugh. And then he's no. in like an umbrella helicopter no. with a different color logo. It's Get like the fuck out of here. I know dude. people. People no. on Reddit were like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So here's a big question: Is it as scary as Fatal Frame One? I think, in terms of the things that I thought were scary about it, like the atmosphere and all that, yes. I think it's got some gotcha moments. It does. It has some good spooks, some jump spooks. It's got a ton of atmosphere, way more than Fatal Frame One. Fatal Frame One had more tension because the combat was so difficult. Yeah, it did have more tension. Yeah, we'll give it that. But that's kind of Which, like the difference between like horror and terror, or horror and tension. So yeah, you know, it was less fun to play because of that too. Yeah. I like the balance in this game a lot where it's still scary and creepy and gets under your skin, but it's not like beating you over the head. Cause even with fail frame one, it's only scary for a certain amount of time. And then you're just frustrated and sometimes bored. You know, I had this great gotcha moment where I was just walking by like a, a window and I noticed that the drapes were moving and I was like, Oh shit. I know if I take a picture of that, like a ghost going to pop out. And I pull out my camera, and sure as fuck enough, a ghost pops out, and it scares the shit out of me. Yeah, was it the little kid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, that's such a good one. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, like, this game, even with, like, the jump scares are cool because you have to engage with them. So it's like, yeah, because it's Pokemon Snap. Yeah, and so it's like it builds tension and builds horror better than a normal jump scare because it's like, yeah, you're like, oh, oh shit, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about the music. I mean, it it does have a lot of good ambient stuff, but there's not a lot of like bangers. No. You know, it's got an intro song and an outro song. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it with Fatal Frame One and Kuan, where it's like the music is more sound design than it is like yeah. music. Uh, it works really well, but you're right. I mean, you're not gonna go and listen to it. That end song is kind of a banger, though. Yeah, totally. 
I'll give it that. Yeah, but it's not like yeah, it's not like Silent Hill, you know. See last episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, good game, super spooky. I mean, tis the season you should be playing it. Yeah, absolutely. I've always really loved playing this right around Halloween. I was like a yearly thing for me for a long time. Um, yeah, man, great game, great fall, like. Like, just spooking around on a crisp fall night, taking pictures of ghosts, (laughs) chilling chilling with your sis. You know what's up, dude. Come on. You got to do it. Yeah. Four and a half stars. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, James. You're welcome. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Well, on that note, um, Game Club? Game Club, what's next? Oh, uh, what's coming up is that Ollie's going to be suffering... (laughs) <laughs> with the suffering the suffering i hear it okay so <laughs> a lot of people probably don't know this but there was like a, a regional 60s minnesota garage rock hit called the crusher and it was basically <laughs> just like a generic garage rock song with a guy doing like a a sort of like proto macho man randy savage voice over it just talking about like crushing stuff and the chorus, quote unquote, is him just going, The Crusher! And so, like, whenever <laughs> you say The Suffering, I hear it as The Suffering! Nice. Yeah. You guys should look that I guess up. that's the Midwestern version of Hey Baby, Que Paso? Yeah, like, I don't know that. You would if you lived in the fucking San Antonio before. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I would. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you guys just look this stuff up. It's great. Hell yeah. Um, the Suffering, though. Yeah, so we're going to do that. Yeah. And then what's after that? Yeah, we're, we're going to do 16-bit month. Bring your extra pixels. <laughs> I don't know, that was fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to start with a series that's never been requested, but I want to do it. Because fuck all of you. Oh my god, James. No. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for supporting the show and listening. Don't listen to James. He just gets like this. New season of Queer Eyes Up. Oh my god. Um, we're doing the Splatterhouse Trilogy. Oh yeah. So, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Fire up the arcade. Get your six button controller, because three is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you in there. <laughs>